Well, would you please uh, turn with me once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, this morning we're going to uh, read verses 6 through 25 of 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, just as a reminder, last week we talked about the gift of prophecy. And this week uh, we're taking a look at the gift of tongues. And uh, as I just mentioned, uh, as we were praying, there are varying uh, opinions about the gift of tongues in the church today. On the one hand, there are uh, some churches who believe that the gift of tongues, as it was practiced in the New Testament, continues in the church today. Uh, then there are those who, who uh, would say that um, the modern phenomenon of tongue speaking in the church is something different than what was going on in the New Testament church. It's a new work of the Spirit, giving believers uh, angelic tongues as a kind of private devotional language to speak to the Lord. Uh, and then there are those who, who believe that the gift of tongues, as it was practiced in the New Testament, has ceased, and that this whole modern phenomenon is, um, at best, deeply concerning. Uh, so, that's just a quick survey of some of the landscape and the varying opinions. What do we do in this situation? Chances are most of us haven't thought a lot about this. And, and maybe we, uh, if it came up in conversation, we'd throw up our hands and, and, and plead ignorance. Uh, maybe we just don't know what to make of it. Uh, we know others who, who, who claim to speak in tongues or we've heard stories of extraordinary things happening uh, on the mission field, and we just don't know what to think. Well, when we're in that position, um, what do we do? When it comes to a topic that's clearly in the Bible, what we need to do is we need to open up our scriptures, and we need to ask for the Holy Spirit's help, and we need to ask that uh, the Lord would give us understanding, uh, that is, according to the revealed objective truth of the Bible. And so that's what we're after today. We want to, with our Bibles open before us, think about what is the gift of tongues according to Scripture and what is its significance for the church today. Uh, so let's turn uh, to the reading of God's Word, 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 6 through verse 25, and then we will reflect on this together. Let's hear God's Word. Paul writes, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 in words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers." If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy uh, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Well, similar to last Sunday, we're going to take somewhat topical approach to this whole issue of tongues and think about what the Bible as a whole teaches us about the gift of tongues. And I think when we consider the teaching of the Bible as a whole, uh, at least four characteristics of tongues emerge. And so I'm going to just give them to you now, and then we're going to work through them one by one, okay? So four characteristics of tongues. Number one, tongues are foreign languages. Number two, tongues are spiritual gifts, not for private use, but for public edification. Number three, tongues are revelational And number four, tongues are a sign. So those are the four things we're going to reflect on. Let's work our way through them, starting with number one. Tongues are foreign languages. Now, the Greek word here for tongues is glossa, um, which can mean physical tongue or language. And so when the New Testament mentions speaking in a tongue, what we ought to have brought to mind is the idea of of speaking a human language. And the gift of tongues is speaking a language unlearned by the speaker. I think that comes out so clearly in a passage like Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so if you want to keep a finger uh, marking Acts chapter 2, because we're going to look at that passage a couple of times today, But take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And here's what it says. Uh, Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, the disciples. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, so on the day of Pentecost, the disciples uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. And Jews uh, from all over the known world at that time were gathered in Jerusalem. And when they heard this, they were They were confused, they were bewildered because they heard the disciples speaking in their own language. Okay, so that's pretty clear. Tongues is speaking in a foreign language unlearned by the speaker. And the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians, which by the way are the only two books in the New Testament that mention tongues, The book of Acts and 1 Corinthians give no indication that a different kind of tongues gift was manifested later on in the church. But the modern understanding of tongue speaking today is very different. Today, most who practice tongue speaking don't think that it's an unknown uh, or foreign human language. They think tongues is the the tongues of angels, uh, borrowing language you remember that Paul used uh, hyperbolically back in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember, his point was not to say that tongues is heavenly speech, but rather he was speaking hyperbolically to say, even if I were to have the gift of tongues to such an extreme that I could speak the language of heaven, but have not love, I am nothing and I gain nothing. That was Paul's point there. But nevertheless, modern tongues is thought to be a spiritual or heavenly language. Now, some suggest that this change in the nature of tongues, going from what we saw at the day of Pentecost, human foreign languages, to uh, heavenly language, actually that this occurred in, in the early church. Okay, so wanting to ground this practice in scripture, people turn, guess where? To 1 Corinthians chapter 14. To argue tongues is a heavenly prayer language, a devotional language that God gives to believers today to to cope with the struggles of life and the anxiety of this age. And so attention is drawn to verse 2. Take a look, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Paul writes, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So the idea, there you have it, right? In Acts chapter 2, the disciples were speaking to men in their language. But here Paul says, tongue speakers speak not to men, but to God. And no one understands him because he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay, so you, you can... You, following the argument here. The problem with that reading is that Paul is not defining tongues here. He he is not telling you what tongues is. He is telling the Corinthians precisely where they have gone wrong in their thinking about tongues. His point is that when you speak in tongues, which are unlearned languages, 
No one else in the church understands, only God. And so it's not doing anyone any good. It's not building up the church. And the phrase at the end of verse 2, he utters mysteries in the spirit. It's, it's not support for a heavenly angelic language. It's best understood as the mysteries of the gospel. See, when Paul uses the word mystery in the New Testament, he almost always is referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something that was in, in some sense hidden, but is now revealed. That is the meaning of the word mystery in the New Testament. And so Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, I think, is simply to say, when you speak in tongues, you utter mysteries in the Spirit. And, and that's good. You're speaking the good news of the gospel. But the problem is that only God understands it, and that's not good. And so Paul isn't teaching that tongues had uh, evolved or become a heavenly prayer language. In fact, what he goes on to say supports the idea that tongues were foreign languages. Okay, so just to be clear, uh, folks, many folks say will approach 1 Corinthians 14 to argue that Paul is teaching tongues is a private prayer language spoken to God. And I, and I, I want to suggest actually throughout 1 Corinthians 14, Paul speaks about tongues as human languages. And let me give you some examples of that. What he goes on to say supports this idea, I think, verse 6. Paul says, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Underlying that is the idea of speaking in an unknown and uninterpreted language will not edify them. What they need is understandable, intelligible revelation and teaching. He wants them to understand that interpreted, uninterpreted tongues doesn't do anyone any good. It doesn't edify the church. He's, and, and he gives a, a, an analogy here. He says it's, it's, a, it's a bit like an, a misused instrument. Okay, so, you know, whenever Travis plays the piano for us and he plays a few distinct notes of a tune that we are familiar with, it, it helps us. We, we immediately recognize it and it helps us to sing. It helps us to worship. But what would happen if... After this morning's uh, sermon, I announce the song and invite us all to stand. And Travis sits down and he just goes bonanza on the piano. Right? And he just starts pounding away on the keys. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do anyone any good, would it? It wouldn't help us. In fact, it would hinder us from worshiping. Paul mentions a, a bugle, a, a military instrument used to call uh, soldiers to arms. And I don't know much about this. I'm sure uh, many of you know a lot more about this than I do. But there are distinct tunes that are played. And soldiers are trained to recognize the tune. And they know exactly what it means. What if on the field of battle, um, somebody who has no experience with a bugle picked up the instrument and just started blasting air into it? Well, none of the soldiers would know what to do, right? What is that ruckus? What's that noise? And they wouldn't know what to do. And Paul says in verse 9, So it is with yourselves. 
If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And notice verse 10, where Paul speaks very clearly about tongues in terms of foreign languages. He says, There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. He's saying, look, if you come to church and you speak a different language, uttering the mysteries of the gospel, let's just take our own congregational context, and I start speaking in, uh, you know, uh, Mandarin or Tagalog or Swahili or something like that. It's, it's not going to do any of you any good, is it? You won't understand a word that's coming out of my mouth. This is why Paul will go on later to, to actually argue for the superiority of prophecy because prophecy doesn't require an interpreter. But when it comes to tongues, if someone speaks in tongues in the church, there needs to be an interpreter for the gift to be useful. And one other support for understanding tongues is foreign language. It's, it's found in verse 21. We'll come back to this verse a little bit later where Paul quotes from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 28. And in the context of Isaiah, the tongues mentioned are without question human foreign language. The language of the foreign Assyrian invaders. We'll come back to why, why is Paul mentioning that passage in this context in a few minutes. But right now, throughout 1 Corinthians 14, notice Paul consistently treats tongues as human foreign language. And we see from Acts and 1 Corinthians that if tongues are going to be useful, they must either be understood by the hearer or they must be interpreted. So that's number one. Tongues are foreign languages. Number two, tongues are a spiritual gift, not for private use, but for public edification. You remember back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul is just getting into this whole issue of spiritual gifts in Corinth. He's giving some basic Godding principles for our thinking about spiritual gifts. And one of them is in uh, verse 7 where he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is no spiritual gift given to any Christian that is just for them. Every spiritual gift is given for the common good. And Paul adds to that here in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 12 through 13. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. So the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good, for building up the church, and so Paul's saying in the Corinthian context, if somebody's going to speak in tongues, someone has to be there to interpret, or you're just speaking into the air. But again, the, the modern understanding of tongues says that tongues are a heavenly language uh, given to supplement one's private, personal prayer life and devotional life. Uh, those who argue this sometimes point to verses 18 through 19. 
Take a look there. Where Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. There it is. Again, the argument is, people would say, Paul spoke privately in tongues. He says he didn't use the gift of tongues in the church, so he must have been using this gift as a kind of private prayer language. Well, a more careful reading, I think, shows that Paul never said he spoke in tongues privately. That's just read into the text. What he says is that he spoke in tongues a lot, more than any of the Corinthians, just never in church if no one understood him. Now, it's not hard to imagine why Paul, with the gift of tongues, would have used that gift a great deal, more than any of the Corinthians. He was a traveling apostle and missionary, regularly speaking to different people groups, going from region to region throughout the Roman Empire. The gift of being able to speak in a foreign language would have been incredibly value, of incredible value for his ministry in proclaiming the mystery of Jesus Christ to the nations. Paul says he used the gift all the time, but his use of it wasn't private, it was public when the needs of the moment required it. And he says in a local church where everybody spoke the same language, the use of tongues wasn't necessary. And notice, this is a, this is a pretty strong statement, isn't it? In church, he'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in an unknown language. You know, that's... Um, saying, I would rather say to you this morning, Jesus died for our sins. I have no idea how many words are typically in a sermon, but I'm going to say it's at least an hour-long sermon speaking very fast to speak 10,000 words. I would rather say Jesus died for our sins than go on for an hour in a language none of you can understand. That's what Paul is saying here. Um, And so, uh, tongues are foreign languages. That's number one. Number two, tongues are a spiritual gift, not for private use, but for public edification. Number three, tongues are revelational. Tongues are a revelatory gift. Uh, I think a helpful place to see this is, once again, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 11 Here are the devout Jewish men from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem, listening to the disciples speak in tongues. And look at what they say. We hear them telling in our own tongues or own languages the mighty works of God. Now, another way to see that tongues are revelational is to notice that when tongues, is to notice that tongues understood or interpreted are equivalent to prophecy. And track with me here, follow, follow me here. Tongues understood or interpreted are, biblically speaking, equivalent to prophecy. Uh, we can see this, I think, undeniably by reading Acts chapter 2 in the light of Joel chapter 2. 
If you were here last week, you remember we looked at Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter 2, which is a prophecy about prophecy. And Joel foretold a day when uh, surrounding the time of the Messiah, when the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and God's people would prophesy. And now here is Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 saying that prophecy of Joel about prophecy was being realized. How? By the disciples speaking in tongues. Now, is Peter confused uh, about prophecy in tongues? No, Peter understands that both are revelatory gifts. And when tongues are understood, tongues are the equivalent of prophetic revelation originating from God. Or consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3 through 5. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, as the Corinthians were practicing it. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. When tongues are interpreted, they are equivalent to prophecy, and therefore they can build up the church as well. So, that's that's the third thing. Tongues were a revelatory gift. Tongues are foreign language. Tongues are not for private use, but public edification. Tongues are revelational. And number four, tongues are a sign. Think about this with me. In the Old Testament, the introduction of unknown foreign languages often signaled divine judgment, didn't it? For example, start with the Tower of Babel. What happened at Babel? People were conspiring together in pride, seeking to exalt themselves seeking to make a name for themselves. And what did God do? He, he came down and he confused their speech, confused their languages so that they could not understand each other. Before that, they all spoke the same language. And uh, the diversity of tongues was a sign of divine judgment. We can also see the introduction of foreign language as a sign of judgment among God's covenant people. Again, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21, Paul quotes Isaiah 28. Now, first, he tells the Corinthians, stop being childish. How's that for being direct? He says to the Corinthians, stop being childish. They were being childish about their use of the gift of tongues, using their gift as if it were a toy for one's own benefit and entertainment. They didn't care whether anyone understood. It was all about their personal experience, what they could experience in the spirit without any understanding or edification taking place. And so Paul says to them, stop being childish. And he grounds that exhortation in Isaiah 28, which deals with other tongues. Let's take a look at verse 21 again in the law. It is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. 
In context, Isaiah is talking about the invading Assyrian armies who had invade Israel as an instrument of divine judgment on the people of God for not heeding the clear teaching of the word of God. And a sign of that judgment was that strange tongues were going to be imposed. Languages, a language they could not understand. Now, why is Paul bringing that passage up in the context of Corinth? Is he perhaps warning the Corinthian believers that they are in danger of coming under the judgment of God because of all of these various problems we have seen as we've worked our way through this letter. But continue with me here. One other Old Testament passage we should mention is, is Jeremiah 5, verse 15. There the Lord says, Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Okay, so in the Old Testament, the introduction of foreign languages was a sign of divine judgment on the pride and unbelief of humanity in general and the apostasy of God's people in particular. Foreign language that could not be understood signaled divine judgment. Now with all of that as as backdrop, you've got to ask the question then, what is happening at Pentecost? As the Spirit is poured out on the church, And instead of people being scattered in confusion, God gives the gift of tongues so that there can be understanding and intelligibility and people brought together now around the Lord Jesus Christ. If you like to think of it in these terms, Pentecost is Babel in reverse. And it is signaling to us God's new, amazing, redemptive work. This is the significance of the gift of tongues in the apostolic era. Sign of the new covenant. That the gospel was never intended to be just for one people group. But it is in fact for the whole world. The good news about Jesus that was promised to Abraham, which incidentally was in response to Babel. Following on the heels of Babel, God calls Abraham and says, Abraham, through your seed, I am going to bless the nations of the earth. The gift of tongues was a sign that that was happening in the time of the early church. The gospel was for people of every tribe and tongue and nation. So instead of leaving humanity in its deserved confusion and rebellion, God comes in the person of the Holy Spirit to make known the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And in the new covenant era, the peoples of the earth scattered at Babel are now being gathered together as one holy nation in Jesus Christ. So you see, the gift of tongues is a sign of a new stage in God's redemptive work. It shows us that 
God never designed to limit his blessing to one particular ethnic group. But in Jesus Christ to gather the nations together to form one new humanity in the man Christ Jesus. And that was being definitively made known to the church during the time of the apostles. I think that helps us then understand why tongues are not normative for today. And to make that point, I think you've got to, you've got to rely on the whole teaching of Scripture. And we might start with a verse like Ephesians 2.20, a passage that we mentioned last week, where Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And in context there, I'm convinced prophets refers to New Testament prophets. And so the foundation of the church is the apostles and New Testament prophets, which would be a, 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 uh, a, a, a revelational foundation, right? And once that foundation is laid, then the gifts cease. But then you might ask, okay, but how do we get to tongues from there? Well, because as we've seen, tongues is a revelatory gift. It is a form of prophecy when heard by a native speaker or when interpreted. But now the age of the apostles and the prophets has ceased. The foundation of the church has been laid. The canon of scripture is complete. We need no further revelation uh, than what God has given to us in the scriptures. And so the church no longer needs the sign of tongues to establish its worldwide character. And so just in quick summary here, and then we're going to get on to what does this mean for us today for just a few minutes. Tongues is not a private prayer language as many suggest today. Uh, The modern practice of tongues does not match the biblical practice of tongues. Tongues are foreign languages Tongues are not for private use, but for public edification. Tongues are revelational. Tongues are a sign of God's new redemptive work, which crosses over every ethnic barrier. They served as a sign of of the worldwide scope of the gospel and fueled the mission of the church. And like the apostles and prophets, therefore, tongues are not normative for the church today. Now, as we, as we wrap up here, like I said, let's just think about, then what, what does tongues mean for us today as a congregation? We mentioned two or three things. Uh, first, the gift of tongues reminds us that the gospel is indeed for everyone and that the church is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and people group. The book of Acts, I think, bears this out in such a compelling and moving way. In fact, I will go as far to say that this is actually the main point of tongues in the book of Acts, to signal that God is forming a new nation in and through Jesus Christ, made up of people of varying ethnicities. And so in the book of Acts, there are actually there are four tongues events, okay? So just four times, People spoke in tongues in the book of Acts. And each time that event occurred, a new group was being added to the church. And so in Acts chapter 2, you've got these devout Jews spread all over the earth under heaven, right? Gathered in Jerusalem. 
and they're brought into the church through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 8, you have the calling of the Samaritans. And there's tongue speaking at this event. And God is signaling that the Samaritans too have a place among the people of God. Now, if you knew anything about Jewish and Samaritan relations at the time, you would know that this was, this was, this was a radical thing that was taking place. And then just two chapters later, in Acts chapter 10, another tongue-speaking event, the gospel is for the Gentiles. And so now you have uh, the church of Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, which is just about everybody, and uh, it is signaling to the church that they all belong to one church. There isn't a Jewish church. There isn't a Samaritan church. There isn't a Gentile church. Though that may be represented geographically, depending on where that local congregation happens to be, but technically speaking, there is no black church. There is no white church. There is no church for some other ethnicity. There is only one church, the church of Jesus Christ. And insofar as it is possible geographically, that ought to be represented in the local church context. Uh, we need to seek to reflect this reality uh, insofar as it is a, a reflection of the community. And then I didn't mention the fourth. Then in Acts chapter 19, you have, um, you have the disciples of John the Baptist who didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so they needed to be taught. They needed to be discipled. But it was signaled, yes, they too have a place among the of people of God. They belong in the church of Jesus Christ. And so the gift of tongues in the early church shows us that God is in the business of gathering people from all over the world, adding them to the church as his people proclaim the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, this is the realization of the Abrahamic promise to bless the nations through his offspring. And he's keeping his word right now, today, in Jesus Christ, through the church, proclaiming the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for us, that means at the very least, we're committed to getting the gospel out and everywhere to everyone as much as we can. It means we're committed to welcoming with open arms people of different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities into our fellowship. It means we're devoted to resourcing the work of missions with our time, with our prayer, with our resources, and yes, if God calls us with ourselves, going onto the mission field. And it means we will maintain a priority on church planting, especially in unreached parts of the world. That's number one, significance of tongues for us. I promise the next two are shorter. Number two, tongues teaches us, I think, to be a people of the word. We saw in verses 3 through 5 in 1 Corinthians 14 that the church is built up, the church is edified, not by unintelligible speech, but by intelligible divine revelation. We are strengthened and equipped and established in the faith when God's word is communicated with clarity 
in the power of the Spirit, without God's word, we cannot be edified. Without God's word, we cannot mature. We cannot grow up. We cannot get past our childish ways. Without it, we can't grow. Without it, we can't stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We need, therefore, to be serious students of the word of God. We need to feed on it as if our lives depended on it. Because brothers and sisters, they do depend upon it. Third, tongues biblically understood teaches us to pursue wholeheartedly spirituality in the biblical sense. Remember, this whole section, uh, chapters 12 through 14 in 1 Corinthians Paul is dealing with the pneumaticoi, those in Corinth who who thought themselves to be really spiritual. And Paul is trying to help them understand, dearly beloved, here is what true spirituality actually entails. To be people filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you go looking for miraculous gifts today. It doesn't mean that you make certain spiritual gifts the be-all and the end-all of the Christian life. The true mark of a spiritual person is not the presence of miraculous gifts, but the presence of spiritual fruit. That's why Paul begins. That's why he took a whole chapter in the middle of this discussion to talk about love. Because love isn't something that we just conjure up by our own strength. It's evidenced in our life as the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image and likeness of Christ. And that's why he calls believers in verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love to be a people of the Spirit, to be truly spiritual people, is to strive to build up the church in love in all that we do. And ultimately, a Holy Spirit-filled church is a church that has its eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember, dear friends, it is the Holy Spirit who Jesus says will bring to remembrance all that he has said. It is the Holy Spirit who bears witness about Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates our hearts and makes us alive. It is the Holy Spirit who unites us to Jesus by working Faith into our hearts so we can come to share in all of the blessings of the gospel that are found in Jesus Christ alone. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us understanding of the truths of God's word, who illumines our minds. And it is the Holy Spirit who changes us and brings forth fruit in our lives so that we can think and speak and act more and more like Jesus. To be spiritual is to know the work of the Spirit in this sense in our lives. And so I want to I say to, to, to some of you especially, don't let anyone tell you that to be truly anointed by the Spirit, that you need to speak in tongues. Dear friends, that is not only not true, it's adding to the gospel. It's false. If you trust in Jesus, you have the Spirit. (laughs) You are a new creature. United to Christ. You are dwelt by the Spirit of the living God. Gifted by that same Spirit to build up the church. To love others. 
And you are being conformed by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ to the image of your Savior. That, my friends, is a description of a spiritual person. And by the grace of God, may it be the spiritual life that each and every one of us enjoy and experience. By the grace of God, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts this morning by your word and your spirit. Please take your truth and plant it deeply within our hearts. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.